0: Welcome to Unfolding Words. I'm your host, and Tracia Moorings. Welcome back to the podcast. Last week, I was absent. I had a birthday. The celebration started early and lasted a little longer than I expected and wore me out. So thus, there was no podcast, but I'm back. And this week, we are going to be camped out in the Old Testament again. We talked about the danger of constructing our own image of God. And this week, we are going to be in the book of Leviticus. Do not dismiss the book of Leviticus. It has some very good things in there. So give it a chance. (laughs) So this week, we're going to be in Leviticus, looking at the danger of innovating or putting your own spin on worship when God has clearly laid out the parameters or the guidelines for how We are to approach him. So this was the case in the book of Leviticus. So I'm going to be reading from Leviticus chapter 10, starting at verse number one out of the ESV version. And it says, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me, I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Right before this account, we see how God reacts when the priests obey what he's called for. So the chapter. Before is when the Lord accepts Aaron's offering. And I'm going to read from chapter nine, starting at verse number 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offering. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So this chapter stands in stark contrast to the previous two. Leviticus 8 and 9 repeatedly state that Moses and Aaron did everything as the Lord commanded them. But this chapter begins by declaring that Nadab, and Abihu presented an offering the Lord had not commanded. And then Leviticus 9 ends with a sign of the Lord's favor. Fire comes out from before him and consumes the offering. While this chapter begins with a sign of judgment, fire still, but this fire comes out from before the Lord and consumes Nadab and Abihu. So previously, If we back up quite a bit, the Lord had laid down the guidelines for all of the offerings. The priestly um, office had been set up and they were given their marching orders. They were told how to conduct themselves in the temple, how to do these offerings. Everything was clearly laid out for the priests. But immediately after this, after Aaron offered offered the correct offering, after they were given all of their directives, Nadab and Abihu acted like they never even saw any of this. So on the first official day that this Israelite system of the priesthood was to be put into practice, Nadab and Abihu, who were the sons of Aaron, failed to obey the proper practice that God had set up. What they did is referred to as strange fire. That's the translation of it in the Hebrew So they offered this strange fire or unauthorized fire on the altar. And the sad part is that they had a front row seat, so to speak, to God's presence. So they were, along with Moses and their father Aaron and the 70 elders of Israel, they were the ones who had been allowed to see a manifestation of God on Mount Sinai. We see this in Exodus chapter 24. So the nature of this strange fire that they offered has been debated down through the years by Jewish and Christian commentators. But bottom line is that the Lord judges Nadab and Abihu with death for failing to honor him properly. Leviticus 16 gives us some more insight into the nature of their offense. The chapter begins by referring to Nadab and Abihu who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord then warned Aaron not to come whenever he chose into the most holy place or else he will die. So these verses point to the fact that the sin of Nadab and Abihu was twofold. First, they approached the Lord's presence at a time that the Lord had not authorized. So Aaron is warned not to enter whenever he chooses into the most holy place. And second, they tried to enter a place that the Lord had not authorized, the most holy place itself. So the unauthorized fire was an incense offering that they presented at an unauthorized time. It's the time that they chose and at an unauthorized place. They were attempting to barge into the very throne room of the Lord without being summons. And this was considered a serious violation of royal protocol. If you think about the book of Esther, Esther had to seek the king's favor to come into his chambers. She didn't just come in even as the king's wife. She was not to just come in. Her request to enter had to be authorized. The king had to say, okay, you can come in. So this was the same thing that Nadab and Abihu were doing. They were just coming in without getting approval first. And this was a sign of disrespect to the Lord. So as a result, the Lord's judgment came upon them swiftly. And in an ironic turn of events, the fire that had consumed the offerings that Aaron had offered in chapter nine now consumes those who are presenting the offering the priest, Nadab and Abihu. And Aaron knew full well the danger of violating God's commands. Remember the golden calf incident in Exodus? It was Aaron who had constructed that golden calf and he saw the destruction that came upon the people as a result of that. God wasn't playing and he made it very clear by all of the deaths that followed. So by now, Aaron is careful to follow and obey all that God has laid out. His sons hadn't quite learned that lesson. So we can read this and think, what happened to the kind God who mercifully rescued his people from slavery in Egypt? Where is the forgiveness that let Aaron and his sons become priests, even though not long before this, they had built and celebrated the golden calf? How does a God who values life so much wipe out two lives in the name of judgment and divine punishment. It seems like the God that we're looking at is not kind, not merciful, and certainly like not a God you would want to serve, right? And this is how people think about God of the Old Testament. But Hebrews lets us know that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And this is the side of God and his attributes that we'd rather not Talk about or think about. We just want the kind and loving God. This is the side of God's characteristics that have been pushed to the back by people who want to paint a one dimensional portrait of God. And this is the side of God that much of the church says doesn't even exist anymore. This is the God of the Old Testament who destroyed in the blink of an eye. You know, they say this um, kind of violent God existed under the Old Testament dispensation, and that in the New Testament, the God of the New Testament has left wrath and judgment behind. And we're told over and over again, like I said, that God never changes. But if we say that God is different, then what we're saying is that God has changed, which we know is not true. But we know that God will execute judgment And in one day, the story moves from victory in Leviticus 9 with Aaron's successful sacrifice to violence in Leviticus 10. And to explain why Nadab and Abihu have been killed, Moses turned to Aaron and said to him a message from the Lord that was made up of two parallel lines. It says, among those who are near me, I will be sanctified. Before all the people, I will be glorified. So the first half of each line explains where the Lord will show himself holy and display his glory. Those who approach him, who approach God, are the priests who approach the Lord's presence to perform various worship rites on the behalf of Israel. When it says all the people, that refers to the Israelites. So we know that God does not display his holiness and his glory in secret for a small exclusive crowd before a chosen few, but he does it publicly for everyone to see. What does it mean for him to show himself holy and display his glory? These words are also used elsewhere in the context of a miracle where God displays his power so clearly that it sets him apart from all of the other gods. He's set apart as distinct, and this causes those who see what he did to acknowledge him as the God who's worthy of all glory. We're going to read Exodus 14, 17, and 18, and it says, And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host." his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. So just like in Leviticus 10, God's display of his power is a miracle of judgment. In Exodus, it was a judgment against Pharaoh and his army. Here in Leviticus. It's a judgment against those priests who violated his commands. And we see this similar language in the book of Ezekiel chapter 48, where it says, This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Sidon, and I will display my glory within you. They will know that I am the Lord when I inflict punishment on her and show myself holy among her. So the Lord is handing out a strong warning to the entire priestly family, those who are called to be priests, that if you do not set me apart by your actions as a God worthy of all reverence, I will use your death as a chance to remind all the people that I am the God who is to be honored and reverenced above all. And what was Aaron's response to this? He was silent. Because he had to accept what the Lord had done, even though he was grief-stricken over losing two sons in the blink of an eye, Aaron realized that he could not kick against the Lord's justice that fell on those who failed to honor him properly, even if those were his own sons. And we may see this as harsh, but today we respect professions that call for following precise directions or else there are dire consequences. Today, there still exist roles and jobs and responsibilities that require a strict adherence to guidelines, or else death will follow. In her book, Bearing God's Name, Carmen Imes talks about the importance of taking heed to every detail that God commands of his people. And she says, The priest's training must have been somewhat like the training for a bank teller today. Rather than creativity, the job requires strict conformity to protocol. Money must be carefully accounted for using uniform methods. A teller cannot give money away when she's in a generous mood, nor refuse service to customers if she's feeling cranky. She cannot come up with her own system for tracking funds. The slightest deviation from bank rules will get her fired. The elevated status of Aaron and his sons does not allow them to do whatever they like. Like bank tellers, the Israelite priests dare not diverge from their training, even a smidgen. There is no room for creativity in their work. They are guardians of procedure and caretakers of protocol. So think about jobs today that require a strict adherence to guidelines, like she mentioned, bank tellers. Plane pilots, they cannot fly into whatever airspace they want at whatever elevation they choose. They can't decide, oh, you know what? I don't feel like flying to New York today. We're going to go to the Bahamas. They can't do that. When the plane gets too high, there is insufficient oxygen to fuel the engines because the air up higher at a higher altitude is less dense, so the engine can suck in less per second as it goes higher. And at some point the engines can no longer develop an adequate power to climb. And so the consequences would be horrible if pilots decided to just do whatever they wanted to up there in the air with passengers on board. Think of pharmacists. They have to mix medicines correctly. Car manufacturers have to follow strict guidelines in how they build cars or else it could lead to sudden death for drivers On the road, so same thing with these priests. Even though Leviticus 10 starts off rather dismal, it does end on a positive note. The chapter is broken down into three sections. In the first, the priests Nadab and Abihu show a great disrespect to the Lord in the context of worship and their responsibilities, and so they experience His judgment. In the second, the Lord warns Aaron, the high priest, to stay away from the errors of his sons and to carry out his priestly duties faithfully. And then in the third section, Aaron demonstrates that he has a reverence for the Lord by faithfully following the commands in the context of worship. And in the end, that negative example that was set by Nadab and Abihu at the beginning of the chapter, is replaced by their father's positive example at the end, which points to the fact that the importance of priestly faithfulness is something that everyone needs to pay attention to, not just those who are in that priestly office, but the Israelite nation as well. God is calling for obedience, and everyone saw that. So there's a lot of lessons for us today from this Old Testament account. The closer you are associated with God's work in the world, the more crucial it is that you make sure that the relationship that you have with God is not blemished or marred so that you're not able to function properly as a vessel for God's work. That's not to say that you're going to be perfect, but we want to stay away from blatant um, sins, from having just a total disregard for what God is calling for you to do and be. So if you are working for God, especially if you are in front of a lot of people, it's your responsibility to be mindful of how you act and how you need to be obedient to what God is calling for. It is a temptation, I think, in our society for those who have prominence, whether it's political or social or in the entertainment industry, to be exempt from moral laws, but this should not be the case. The New Testament teaches that judgment will be applied more to those who have been greatly blessed with the knowledge and ability than to those who don't have that. And First Peter 4 and 17 tells us that judgment will begin in God's household that is definitely food for thought. The sons of Aaron had been in their position as priests for just a very brief period of time, but they did not take their responsibilities with the degree of seriousness that was required by the God, this just and holy God who had called them to these positions. And as a result, it was impossible for God to be glorified before all the people, because they were not living out their role as priests properly. And there are a lot of people who cry out to God saying, you know, send your fire, Lord. But I often wonder, do people really understand what they're asking for? You cannot ask for the Leviticus 9.24 fire, the fire that came down for Aaron's sacrifice and consumed it, without considering that that same fire is present to purify and cleanse in judgment just as it did in Leviticus chapter 10 and honestly many people request god not to send his fire so that the purity of his judgments will not be manifest in their lives god knows our hearts and he knows what we need and that he's not just going to send that Holy Ghost fire that consumed the sacrifice like it did for Aaron. God knows which fire to send down. But make no mistake, we can come to God just as we are, but we cannot come to him in our own way. We cannot innovate worship, especially when God has laid down guidelines for how He wants worship to happen. You cannot wing it when it comes to what God has called for. We must come the way that God has provided. And that way has been made possible through Jesus Christ. A lot of people want to tell you that you can come to God any old way. There's many roads to God. That Jesus Christ is not the only way. That is an example of strange fire being offered before the Lord. And it's a dangerous place to be. So take heed. That's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. I pray that you were blessed and edified by this episode. And I will be back here next week with some more good stuff from the scriptures. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.